0: What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder Podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Also, Instagram at Louder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today's guest is... uh, Man, if you don't know his name, you sure know his songs. I'll tell you that for sure. We've got Al Bouchard, the drummer for Blue Oyster Cult. He's an original founding member, played with the band up until the Fire of Unknown Origin album, up to and including that album, I should say. Uh, So he's the guy you hear playing drums when you hear Godzilla, Don't Fear the Reaper, Burning for You, Cities on Flame. I mean, the, the... Dominance and submission, the red and the black. It goes on and on. Yes, he's uh, definitely part of a legendary band that put out some uh, some songs that are timeless. Well, they'll survive us for sure. Outlive us for sure. So, uh, I, happy think to a, I
1: think there's think there's a lot of Ghost fans that don't realize. Yeah that without Blueist or Colt, there would be no Ghost. And yeah. we're talking about the the sound of, the, of your band, yeah. the, the tones of your songs that you write. Yeah. Not the guitar riffs necessarily, but, you know, all the way from the lyrics to the arrangements and the way they're set up, the vocal harmonies, the orchestration of your sound. If you yeah. listen to Ghost, you're hearing whether you like Us pertaining it to somebody who would say, oh, isn't that that biker rock band from New York? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that is who that is. is. But guess what? Prog rock, prog metal, pop metal, metal, heavy metal, all over the place influence everyone from Metallica to Ghost and beyond.
0: I think it's safe to say that Ghost has a few Blue Oyster Cult albums in their collection, without a doubt. For sure. And the reason we've got Al with us today is he's out promoting a new album called Imaginos 2. It's uh, part of a trilogy that was started in the early 80s. The original Imaginos record was based on the writings of Blue Oyster Cult manager Sandy Perlman. And at the time, in 1980, 81, uh, Al left Blue Oyster Cult. And the idea was to turn Imaginos into a trilogy of solo albums uh, under the name Al Bouchard. And record company politics, et cetera, tied it up for a number of years. It finally came out in 1988, but didn't live up to, you know, some of the uh, popularity of some previous Blue Oyster Cult records. So Al, over the course of the past few years, has sort of reimagined, recreated these songs um, and brought new life to him. And he's with us today to talk a little bit about this latest installment of the Imaginos uh, trilogy and legacy uh, as, as he sees it.
1: Tell us who guests on it real quick.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. There's uh, Dennis Dunaway, bass player mm-hmm. for the Alice Cooper Band. Uh, turns out that he and Al have been friends for a long time and play together in a, in a, in a band. Uh, I think it's and- called, I think he called it Blue Coop. Blue Coop, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is
1: really good play on words there. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um and, I uh, think
1: uh, I think that he toured with uh, BOC toured with Alice Cooper in the seventies. And I yeah, think they, that, that Al talks about that a little bit. And who yeah. else, Dave? Sorry. Uh
0: another guest is Ross the Boss from The Dictators and Man of War. And uh, We're going to learn that uh, Al is actually the current drummer in the Dictators or whatever version of the Dictators is still active today. Uh, Al and Ross, the boss, go back a long way. And Ross is on the new album. Uh, Imagine those two bombs over Germany is the subtitle. So, yeah, really excited to have him with us today. I think we should get into it here on the Talk Louder podcast
2: this yeah. is a little uh, wine bar that i built uh for her
1: that's classy for, man for i friends. like it
2: yeah 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 it's 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 uh, 14 by 14 and 12 mm-hmm. feet high so it's uh it fit it's you don't need a permit in this area oh it. <laughs> if
1: it's small like that okay well where are you where are you calling us from al
2: uh, blue point long island
1: Oh, all right. Yeah. Man, now, Long Island has, has got tons of history. I guess we can just oh, yeah. scratch the surface and go an hour on just that, but we'll try to just do a pinch. Isn't it true that there's like just, I'll just say a shit ton of like a list as long as both arms of musicians and and like legendary artists that like in, in er, early 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 stages of like east coast rock and roll that are from the island
2: oh yeah yeah i mean when i came here in uh 67 there was already a, a a thriving you know you had the young rascals you had uh bands like the illusion and uh, um, and uh, uh well vanilla fudge uh, came around you know around then and uh so yeah so there was a lot of you know and and you know it's you know uh i guess you could say the ramones were uh a uh a new york city band but they they got together in queens and and, okay. and the same with the you know the dictators and a oh, lot yeah. of, you know, Wristed sister, all of you know, just yeah, a yeah, yeah. A so, so,
1: the reason I, I wanted to go there is is yeah. we are fans of what the it Lamones is that we've just kind of it, the yeah. can of worms that I've just asked you to open, you know. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, an old acquaintance of yours, Tommy Price, oh, has yeah. been a guest on our show and he brought up working with you uh, yeah. a while back. And it was, I think just the title was to your new thing or your, your most recent thing is related somehow to what he mentioned, the Imaginos thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He played on the original Imaginos album. And uh, I hired him originally because uh, I was trying to uh, show everybody how to play the songs and I wanted to be the singer. And I thought, well, you know, it, it's easier to be the front person, you know, when you're not, when you don't have all these drums in front of you, that is kind mm-hmm. of like this barrier between you and the audience. And I already knew how it felt to be out front because uh, in Blue Oyster Cult, we used to do this thing where we'd all play guitar, you know, and because Eric said, you know, this, I've never seen anybody do it where the drummer gets up, and picks up a guitar and they play some blazing leads. And I said, okay, let's do it. You know? And, and that, w- we did that for, I don't know, Oh, six, seven years where that was our ending. You know, that's, and, per- that's and
1: pretty great. You had somewhat of a democracy in your group like that. Cause some people are like, get out of here. I'm the guitar player. You know?
2: Right? Well, it was, you know, I think that at that time, you know, uh, we started, you know, and we really, um, we liked the 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 british groups you know like the beatles and all that. and it seemed like they were very, more democratic than the uh, american group so that's you know and when when uh software underbelly which was the predecessor for blue icicle first started uh i was actually the lead singer but uh you know before uh we started looking for a lead singer and then we got several different ones you know, and uh, before we ended up with Eric Bloom. So, so and Eric, uh, in addition to playing guitar, is also a really good drummer. He's actually very talented on the drums. So, you know, I mean, he doesn't, I don't think he ever plays the drums with B.O.C., but he used to play and let me go up and, and do something, uh, you know, sing a song or two. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, so that's how we started. So he... He just had this idea that yeah that would that would be a great thing if we could all do that and you know we'd been doing a triple drum solo because uh, we wanted something that other people didn't do so uh, when we first started and we were we were playing with uh, Alice Cooper and stuff like that in the in the like seventy one seventy two uh, era wow. uh, we would or, or seventy three too because we played with. Alice in 73, and we're still doing the triple drum solo. But it was, first of all, it wasn't our song. We were playing uh, It's Not Easy was the song that we did, this Rolling Stone song. And we'd end end our set with It's Not Easy. And then I would say, it's not easy playing drum solo all by yourself. And then these guys would come out and, and play the drums. And, you know, after a while, it seemed like it was getting tired. And Eric said, I got an idea. You know, I mean, he we got him... In the band, uh, one of the reason one of his big strengths is his idea of stagecraft and how to how to present something to the audience. So uh, you know, he had this great idea, and and then we did that for a long time. You know, we kept changing the song. We it you know we the last one we did was a, was a five guitar instrumental version of Golden Age of Leather. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah you, you, I've seen the classic photos of of BOC live in concert, and there's like this. I, I didn't realize it was the finale of the show, but it makes sense. Where there's you know there's you know four or five guys up there with guitars. It's like how many guitar players do they have in this band? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And that was the other thing is it was great for the photographers. They had everybody there, you know, looking good. So
0: yeah, yeah. So um, I want to get back to some uh, blue oyster cult history, but let's uh, let's talk about your latest project. It's a uh, Imaginos Two, yes. uh, bombs over Germany, and yeah. um, this album has its roots going all the way back to the early '80s. Um, this was uh, part of a trilogy that you intended um, as part of a solo. Uh, some solo records that you were uh, putting together in the eighties. Is that correct? Yeah. Sort yeah. of su- summarize, summarize the Imaginos uh, l- legacy, if you will, and and sort of bring us up to date to your latest project.
2: Okay. So uh, in, well, uh, originally Sandy re- wrote Imaginos, the Imaginos uh, Sandy Perlman. Sandy Perlman wrote it, you know, who was our manager and also uh, a co-writer of many of our songs. So he said, uh, you know, you guys should do a song, uh, an album just of all my songs, you know, relating to this imaginos character. Right. And uh, the guys didn't want to do it. It was, uh, you know, especially uh, after after we had the hit with Reaper, you know, I think that everybody wanted to try and get their songs on, on the record, you know, as opposed to earlier, it was more like the first three records. It was, we were just trying to have a unique sound. We were emulating really Alice Cooper, I think, you know, not, not trying to sound like that band at all, but trying to sound like, you know, they inspired us because they weren't trying to sound like anybody at all. They were just trying to make this completely unique music. And uh, and we were in that same kind of mindset, you know, when we met them and we would talk and hang out with them. And they were like, yes, we don't want to sound like anybody else. And we we're like, yeah, that's right. You know, because when we first got signed to Columbia, there was this America's answer to Black Sabbath, you know. And so uh, our first three albums, well, especially the first album, we reconfigured our songs that we'd already written, but we could, you know, we would borrow some of the arrangement ideas from the Black Sabbath songs. And so, and as by the third record, we'd kind of grown past that, you know, because then we, you know, we started incorporating, you know, ideas from the Mahavishnu Orchestra and, you know, and. James Gang and all these other people that we played with. So uh, it became this whole new thing. So uh, the guys, they but they didn't want to do a whole record of Sandy songs. That was that was what they said. The bottom line was, you know, that, uh, you know, once once they found out that, oh, we can make a lot more money, you know, as a songwriter, you know. And so they didn't want to. uh, They all wanted their own songs, you know, and not necessarily. You know, Donald wanted to write songs that that he was the sole writer on. And, you know, um, and so that's how it it kind of went for a while. So so they we ended up not doing it was pretty clear to Sandy that we weren't going to do all of his songs on one record. But I thought I agreed with that. I thought that we should do that. And so I had been working on these songs with him. And uh, when I left the group, he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm going to get you a solo deal and we'll do this, you know, the way it should be done. So that's how that that happened. That's how, you know, I came to hire Tommy Price. We became fast friends for, you know, to this day. So uh, but uh, yeah. He, he's a great drummer. I mean. Yeah. We, yeah. We, oh yeah.
0: Great drummer. And he was uh, he was an awesome guest on our show. Yeah.
1: It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. So, so, so the, so the Imaginos uh, concept basically that started with Sandy Perlman was never fully realized back in the, back in the eighties until it was finally released around 88, I think. Right. And then, you now have sort of reimagined some of those songs in more recent years. And that leads us up to d- today. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what happened, you know, was that uh, I was disappointed with that album. I, number one, I was disappointed that it wasn't released as my solo record because I'd recorded it as a solo record. And Columbia, they were like, we can't sell a Albert Richard record. We have to have... We need name recognition to sell this thing. So, uh, and at that point, they had Blue Oyster Cult had made uh, three records without me. Well, one was a live record, so they used some of my tracks, you know, that I'd played on. But the other two was completely without me, without any input from me. And the and the, I think they were disappointed with how those records um, performed. And and a lot of people. So uh and and they had kind of pushed Sandy out of the equation at that point. So by the time Imaginers came well, actually by the time the last one of those records, uh Club Ninja, they decided we need we need more help on the writing aspect of it. Because I, I was really the that guy that would would uh you know just spend a, a ridiculous amount of time thinking about how how can we make this song better how can we you know what does this song need you know how do you know what i need to get some lyrics you know let let me see if i can get helen wheels or or patty smith to help us out here and so uh they i think they 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 realized oh we need sandy so they they had him come back and produce uh club ninja but that even that didn't do well as a matter of fact it was one of the worst uh selling record. So even though there was some great stuff on it, but uh yeah. you know, it was a lot it, it to me I listened to the record and it seems like it was rushed or just not you know, you've got a song like uh um what was the song? Uh when when the war comes. Fantastic song. Fantastic, you know, and uh uh so uh, and and I might add that that was one of the things that you know I I like that I think that's my favorite cut of my new record is when war comes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, re, reimagining of of when the war comes because uh I I worked with Joe a lot on that how how we could make it uh better make it like like this epic thing. I just want to, you know, I mean, they had a crazy drum solo at the end and it just sounded like, what is going on? So, you know, with the Blue Oicycle version on Club Ninja. So, so anyway, what happened was Columbia wouldn't release it. They had no material, you know, they felt like it was, and, and Sandy said, well, you know, you guys know this record is great. You've been hearing it for six years, you know, I mean, I, uh, they actually played everybody, but Eric played on the record on the original record, you know, uh, Joe and Alan played on the basic tracks. Uh, Don came and, um, played, uh, overdubbed a lead on one, on one of the songs. They actually didn't make that record. So anyway, the record came out as Blue Oyster called. I was upset. I was especially upset because they didn't use three of the songs that I'd recorded. And so they cut it out. They cut. And one of the, you know, and several of them I thought were critical to, you know, the flow of the story. So I, uh, you know, and it, it uh, to me, it didn't sound that good. You know, I knew what we recorded in the studio. I was there and it was it sounded so much more glorious. It sort of made, sounded small. It was like there was too many things in there. It was too much to to take all in. So I felt that, you know, and I remember that Sandy Proman, when we were recording it, he said, you know, we should get rid of all this stuff. Why don't you just go out there and play with an acoustic guitar and, you know, make it like a folk song. And I'm like, no, I can't go out there and tour like that. I've got to have this band, you know? So I, I disagreed with him, but when it came, you know, so let's flash forward to what actually happened. So I got this, um, not really pressure, but lots of emails from uh, fans saying, you know, if you can't remix it, because the the first it was like, we've heard your demos. They're much better than the final record. You know, can you, can you remix it? You know, can you make it so that you like it? And I said, well, I could if I had the taste, but I don't. So, so anyway, um, so I, they, so then they were saying, well, you should you should do your own version. And I was like, yeah, OK, maybe I'll do that. So I'd started working on that a little bit uh, and. Uh, then COVID happened, you know, I, I already had a uh, a, a you know, a sort of a tour outline for Blue Coop, which is my my main group, you know, the group with my brother Joe and Dennis Dunaway and Tish and Snucky. So which is a great, a fantastic band that I've been playing over ten years now with them. And uh, and so we had we had like some European dates and all this other stuff. And then COVID happened and I said, Oh, you know what I think I'm gonna bear down on this thing and uh, see what i can do and as i was doing it i was thinking about sandy perlman and all the things that he had said to me as we were recording it you know little suggestions or lyric changes or you know just uh you know and little things that i ignored or that i disagreed with and i said what would it happen if i did it the way he wanted so that's basically what i how i approached it and in my mind, I said, "Well, the other thing is that you know, as we were doing that, one of the things that he talked about a lot was we got to have a, a follow up record, you know." And I said, "Okay, what's the follow up record?" So he said, "Well, you know, we've written some of these songs. You know, we've got Half Life Time, which is a you know the the Armageddon song, you know, and we've got uh, we can use ME two sixty two, so we can have World War Two in it. We have to write a song for World War One." And so we'll have the wars you know we had uh we had uh uh red and the black and um which was sort of that was a vietnam war uh song so uh so It seemed like, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, and then, you know, further along, he said, well, you know, it's got to be a trilogy. I said, oh, that's great. So we'll have three records that I that I can have for my solar career. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, but so the next one's going to be bombs over Germany. What's the last one? What happens there? And he goes, well, that's the mutant reformation. That's when humanity pulls itself back together with the aid of the aliens and the, you know, and the robots and all the other things that, you know, are, you know, that were going to happen in the future. Yes. So, uh, so. so,
0: In a a sense, it's, it's sort of your, your, your realization of the songs, the way you intended them to be, or, uh, a modified versions of how you intended them to be back in the day. And maybe they've sort of, taken on a bit of new life as the years have gone by.
2: Yeah, I think so. And also it's that now I have a story to fit those songs into. So you can put them in a different context and that will, you know, that will make you look at the whole thing differently.
0: Yeah. And you, you mentioned, uh, Dennis Dunaway, who, who's uh, guest, makes a guest appearance on the album. Uh, I, I knew that you had played with him. So it's, it's pretty apparent why he got involved, but, um, I also see Ross the Boss uh, oh, yeah. credited on this album. We all know him from Manowar. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your friendship with Ross and how he got involved in this. Oh yeah,
2: I've known Ross for well. He was he, in the Dictators too. I should say. Yeah, right. I was going to mention he was in the yeah. Dictators. So, uh, uh, and and I, I had done some amazing demos with him. He used to help when I was living in the East Village he would uh play on uh my demos. You know, if I needed a Hot League guitar, I would call Ross and he would come over and he would he would play on my demos. So he was, you know, and he would he would give it that like extra like, wow, you know, and uh so and and the unfortunate part of that is that sometimes, you know, even though Buck is a great guitar player, Sometimes I'd be disappointed. At my I would feel like my demos were so good with Ross playing on it that uh that I was disappointed in the final I'm not gonna say what songs, but you know, and final thing with BOC, I'd say, geez, this is not oh well. I got I got a lucky demo, you know, and that's yeah. how it goes, you know. I mean, you know, you hear stories about this all the time. So Yeah,
1: I call that demo Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh so anyway. Fast forward to last year and uh, um, Andy Chernoff called me up and said, listen, we want to get the dictators back together. You know, Scott wants to do it, you know, and Ross wants to do it. And we all want you to be the drummer. I said, oh, that's cool. You know, well, I'm working on this other record, you know. They said, well, you know, can you take a, you know, you got a free day that we can practice or, you know, just talk about stuff. So they came over and he talked and Ross said, hey, let, let me play on your new record. I said, OK, well, I have got most of the leads. I would hired this Nashville session guy that I, I love. His, his playing is just fantastic. R.J. Ronquillo and so uh i only had one song that still needed a lead and uh uh so ross said well let me play it so i'm the one you warned me up and he he just killed it you know i mean uh, i said you know what just go crazy man just do your thing you know so he gave me two tracks and at first i'm like whoa he just he's blasting over this whole thing over the vocals and everything and I said, I've got to take all of that out. So I I uh, I just trimmed it to where he was filling in when I wasn't singing. And then David Hirschberg is like, uh, you know, David is the bass player on the record. He he's played on the last two records. He's my buddy from for, you know, you know, for many years, since 1987, I guess mm-hmm. is when I met him. And I found out that he was a musician and and he played in the brain surgeons for like I don't know fifteen years with me, so uh, and we've we've driven all you know he's my like my buddy, you know yeah he's yeah. my uh you know uh what's the guy's name uh jack harrowwa's buddy um, oh, um yeah
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, you know the guy, the driver. He's basically yeah. your right
0: hand man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's my right hand man. He supports me in everything I do. And and he's just been a great friend. So, so and he's a great, great musician too, very uh, sensitive. So he listened. He said, You know what? You just killed Ross. You know, and, oh, and Ross, so David had played in the brain surgeons when Ross had joined. So, you know, he knew Ross. You know, they were good friends. And, uh, and he said, You just, you just like, it doesn't sound like Ross anymore. He said, why don't you put some of that back? You know, so what if he's playing over the vocal, you know? So I said, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. So I, I let it, you know, so I basically, I just, I, I took a little bit out, you know, I had to have a, some breathing room. Cause he, yeah. he, he couldn't make you lose your breath. Just, I mean, he's so amazing and just playing these crazy, crazy leads, you know, super fast and, you know, but then also, you know, uh, uh, very interesting, interesting melodic ideas that he, he will come up with. So, so on this one, I said, well, you know, you've got to play, you know, let's have you play right at the beginning. And by then, you know, I was playing with the dictators. We recorded some stuff. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I'm very happy with what he done because this one he did on Bombs Over Germany, which is a reworking of MET. 262 he did his thing he did his ross playing crazy stuff all over the vocal and you know and it it was great it's great i love it but then for shadow of california which is like this more moody kind of dark uh vibe you know i said i i want something that's like more fitting in, you know, he said, well, I got this classical guitar, you know, and I just played on, uh, I don't know, some metal group wanted, they had a ballad. And so he bought a, a classical guitar because in the brain surgery, he played classical, he played my classical guitar on um, a song. So, so he had this idea. I want to try that. And, you know, I can't remember the name of the band. i um, I'm terrible, but anyway, so he said, I got this guitar. It's great. You know, let me bring it over and see what I can do. So he plays, he does his Ross Boss thing, but on a classical guitar, it's it's so great. And then on Cities on Flame, he's like, I think I, you know, I played this before in the brain series with you. I played it a thousand times. I want to do something different. I'm gonna do some more like bluesy jazzy stuff. So that's what he did on there, and that's also fantastic. I mean, three songs where he just played uh, just uh, surprising and fantastic stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so to give people just a sampling of, of some of the songs that are on this new album, Imagine Those 2, um, some BOC song titles that you may recognize, um, Dominance and Submission, Seven Screaming Diz Busters, The Red and the Black. Um, these are all, you know, song titles that we're all familiar with and songs we're familiar with. When you went to rework them, was there, um, I I don't want to say fear, but maybe was there any trepidation about messing with something that's so classically known and renowned and and loved by so many people? I mean, obviously you're the architect of these songs or had a hand in, in the songs originally. So you're free to do with them what you will. But, um, Did you, did you ever stop and think, Oh man, I don't know if I should go here or or it was just one big adventure. And you said the heck with it, I'm going to do what I want to do with these things.
2: Uh, to be honest, I mean, I actually started out, you know, the songs you mentioned, especially, uh, I was like, these are great arrangements. I don't think I want to mess around with them, you know? And so I recorded them basically like cover songs and, uh, and then each one I would have, oh, maybe I should. Maybe I should change this. You know, I, I know that seven screaming Discbusters. busters. Uh, I had uh, I had made like an acoustic version of it, you know, but basically the same arrangement, same key, same everything. I mean, it's still in the same key, but uh, in the same tempo. I even I even took a tempo map of the live version from On Your Feet. And tried to do the same tempo map, you know, so as it would go up and down with the speed and, you know, all the solos would like either grind in or, or jump up. So, and then uh, I was watching Richie Castellano and his, uh, his uh, he does this band geek podcast, or he was doing it during the lockdown. So uh, where he plays, he, he, plays all the parts on the tracks, and then he does a live thing where he plays lead guitar and sings. And uh, and I was looking at David Hirschberg saying, well, maybe you should just have him do everything. And he's like, no, 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 no. We've got to we got to think about wh- how we can make this better, but, you know, still great. So w- we were you know, we worked on it for a while, for, and well, we watched Richie's thing first because he came over and I was watching Richie. And I said, "Listen to this," and and he played Seven Screaming Disciples, and i are like, "Oh my God, that is so good!" And it's really like very close to the original. And so uh, I said, "You know what? Maybe we maybe we need to move away from that." And then so we're we're having dinner, and David and I are eating, and my son was there, and he is making one of these crazy tracks that he he makes. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, Dave, that could work for the song. And he's like, yeah. So I said, what are you doing there? And he showed me and I'm like, oh, hey, can you change this chord to that one? And, you know, so we ended up slowing it down uh, and uh, doing a, a, a much more synthesizer kind of thing. And then we had Richie come and do his thing, you know, and Richie loved it. He said, Oh man, this is great. You know, thank you. And you know, this is a great version and I'm not going to do what Donald does. Like I do in my, my thing, I'll do something completely different, which he did. So, uh, you know, it sort of evolved into this other thing, you know, on in a, in a, a more or less natural thing. Like for instance, another example, quick Climb girl. I love that version. There is nothing wrong with it. So I actually recorded that version. I played all the parts except for the bass and sang the vocal. And I said, you know what? I, I'm not crazy about my vocal. You know, Eric kills that song. I mean, he's so good on that. I said, I need, I need somebody who's better than me to sing that. And who sounds like me, but better. Joe Sarasano. So I called Joe up and he said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, so he said, let me, you know, let me, you know, do some research and stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, maybe a week later, he said, "Uh, "Okay." so I've been listening to different versions and I I've heard this one that's on YouTube uh, from the Agora ballroom. And uh, I said, oh, I've never heard that. And he said, oh, well, I'll send you MP3. So he sent me the the track and I'm like, oh we changed the whole ending. We did this whole chorus with the a cappella chorus and the you know, and it was and and also the track speeds up like crazy. It's like and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we should do it like that. So that, you know, it was originally it sounded as much as I could sound like the original, but then it turned into this whole other thing, you know? Yeah. So
0: um, I, I want to jump around a little bit because it's not every day we get to talk to uh, the founding uh, drummer of the great Blue Oyster Cult. So if you don't mind, I want to pick true. your brain. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Sure. Um, uh, first of all, um, what are your thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And the reason I ask this is because I swear to God, yesterday, just yesterday, I was in the grocery store and I heard don't fear the reaper in the grocery store. So you've had a hand in some of the most iconic, timeless rock songs that will survive long after the three of us are long gone. Um, So in my opinion, your, your, your material, it has that timeless quality. Um, But you guys aren't in the rock and roll hall of fame. So the question is, do you care um, would it be an honor? Is it past the point of you even caring anymore? Because you obviously have the material that warrants it, in my opinion.
2: I, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's, uh, to me, I love the museum in Cleveland. That is fantastic. It's just a great, great thing. But the, hall, the to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't think is any big deal, really. There's all these people that I don't think should be in there. To be honest, and there's all these other people that aren't in there, you know, that are just as good as Blue Oyster Cult, in my opinion, and they are not in there. So what does that mean? You know, I would much rather get a Grammy because that's the entire entirety of of the music community that's voting on that as opposed to just a few people. You know, you've got your inductees and then you've got, you know, the the staff of Rolling Stone, essentially, and you've got Jan Werner. You know, so, and, and, you know, there's been some bad blood with uh Blue Oyster Cult and Manor, So I'll just go out and say it, you know, that, you know, as long as he's alive, we'll probably never be in. Mm.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I don't see how that's even possible that you're not in because, you know, songs like Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, Godzilla, Burning for You, Cities on Flame. I mean, these things are going to be alongside Stairway to Heaven on classic rock radio till the Earth explodes. The and things,
1: the things that I feel like they're using as measurable items. You guys tick all the boxes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah but it's it's not a it's not a democracy. No, it's, it's not. It's it's no. top down. You know, it's a, a yeah. You know, and it doesn't
0: make any sense.
2: Yeah. So well, that's, I don't, how, I, that's, I, that's I, the structure. I, of it. I, I know that every year Dennis Dunaway tries to, you know, submit our name and. You know he gets rejected so you know it's mm. just like you know there's somebody at the top there and uh and they have control mm. yeah yeah
0: uh let me ask you um what, what are your thoughts on the uh the
2: saturday night live skit more cow oh, god i love it i love it it's great it was great i mean Will Ferrell, he has to be a genius just to hear the cowbell and then to come up with this whole scenario of how it could have gotten on the track, you know, which, you know, I've read a lot about, you know, how he conceived it and how it, you know, how it didn't work. And they were like, oh, maybe we should just drop this thing. It's not working. And, you know, and then they did it before the live audience. And of course, that was the best it ever was. So, uh, yeah, I. Uh, you know, it's yes. it's brilliant. You know, because it actually, it's not even that far from the truth. You know, <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, like yeah. A, a spinal tap. It's its yeah. a own nod and in, into a spinal tap direction. I yeah. personally, not to make it be about me whatsoever, but but personally, the skit has ruined great songs that that have the cowbell. <laughs> to me you know, it has like ruined uh, these great songs and I can I can you know rattle off quite a few songs that have cowbell that are important to my rock and roll upbringing and, and, and the dog oh my god keep and- you know yeah. walk this way yeah uh, yeah I mean, yeah, Rush, yeah. U- Rush used it, Cowbell. It's a
2: city queen.
1: Uh, yeah, I kn- exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, Live Wire by Motley Crue. There's a yeah. lot of, and, and different, you know, we're talking since from the 60s till now. Um, you yeah. know, Guns N' Roses had it. Uh, it's not just like an 80s metal or a hairband thing by any means whatsoever. It's more of like a classic rock. Right. Thing, rock. Which Which makes the skit funny. You know, yeah. and it just happens to be Reaper and you guys and Will Farrell's head, you know, so.
2: Well, a funny, a funny uh, side bit of it is that up until that point, that was the first time I'd ever played Cowbell on a record. Wow. wow. It was always and Eric that's... Bloom. Eric Bloom always played it. And then, and David Lucas played it on a, uh, several records, too. So, uh mm. That was the first time I'd ever done it. First and only except for, you know, now of course I, I add it to a lot of my songs. <laughs> my solo songs, you know, there it's on both the both Imaginos Records and uh and I played it on uh Bluish Colts' uh That was me.
0: Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. I'm, I'm, I love that you find the humor in it, because I think it's a piece of pop culture uh, history at this point. And the fact that it's uh, aimed directly at Blue Oyster Cult and you specifically, um, I, I just I love that you're kind of rolling with it, because a lot of people would get, a, you know, other people could get offended by it and go, hey, they're picking on my song or they're picking on the cowbell
2: or whatever.
1: Yeah, you're um, you're taking it the right way. And that's, yeah, exactly. We make well, we, you, you on that.
2: I It is insanely popular. I think that, yeah. you know, I've been running uh, and running marathons and stuff and road races and stuff since I joined the Roadrunners in 1984. And after that skit, all of a sudden you started seeing people with cowbells like because. You know, when you're cheering on somebody, I you know, I've done this, you know, I go to the races too, you know, when I when I if I'm injured or I can't run or or just if it's if I run into a race and I will stand there and go, "Yay, yay, you're looking good," you know. Oh, you know, and then after like 3 or 4 minutes of doing that, your hands are starting to hurt, you know, and then you, you go, "Hey, woo! You know, and then your throat is hurt. So, but you can bang on that cowbell all day. Yeah, <laughs> you can do it for hours and yeah. you make a lot of noise and the and the runners know, oh, support, you know. So, yeah. so some cowbells are 200 dB. So, you know.
1: Yeah, some cowbells yeah. are honking loud, so.
2: Yes, yes. I know. I've tried to record them. It's like, okay. I'll go in the other room. Yeah.
1: <laughs> put them put His, the mic uh... outside, you know. <laughs>
0: Is, uh, is Blue Oyster Cult... I'm trying to think. Is Blue Oyster Cult the first band to use the umlaut in your logo? Because it's become pretty popular over the years. But I'm trying to think back to where I saw it first. And That's I don't know if question, I ever saw Dave. it... It's a good question, I don't question. know if I ever saw it before Blue Oyster Cult. So you might be, I, you've seen I, it with Motorhead. You've seen it with Queensryche. Yeah. Um, Motley Crue. Motley Crue, yeah. So, But if I go back... I can't go back much. Who's that? <laughs> <I'm>,
2: Cigaros. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that's
0: that's uh, way after uh, Blue Oyster oh, yeah. Cult. So yeah. is Blue Oyster Cult the first? And even if you don't know, tell us how that came to be part of your logo because it's iconic.
2: That was Alan Lanier's idea. He said, you know, uh, this is before Bill Gallick had designed the, the, the logo. So he, Alan was like, we need something to set our name apart. You know, besides the fact that it's this ridiculous name. So he said, how about a umlaut over the O? And I'm like, what's a umlaut? I didn't even, I'd never even seen an umlaut. So, you know, that's the first time I ever heard of it. And, you know, him being, you know, a little bit more erudite than me, you know, he came up with that. So that was, you know, and then, of course, they came up with the Bill Gallick design, the, the the little, you know, twisted propeller. Type of thing, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. the 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 logo is iconic as well. What it, I don't even know what it's called—a hook, hook and cross, or something like that. But yeah. um, that's a good yeah, the, name for it. The, the umlaut and the and the logo kind of uh, sort of perpetuate the the mystery of Blue Oyster Cult, you know. So I I think it's really cool. I just was wondering if you guys took the umlaut from a previous band or if you're the first no. band that. That we're
2: Absolutely not. I know it was Alan Lanier's, uh, uh desire to make it look, you know, mysterious. Yeah. Do you feel
1: well, like? Do you feel like the songs, at least that you were, and I was thinking when you were describing how you were re, you know, sort of like filtering the material for this new version of, you know, the three, the third installment of uh, *Imaginos* when you compare the way that you originally put the songs together where it sounded like you, you were describing it it sounded to me like orchestration you know you're you're the way that you're putting the tunes together how you are constantly losing sleep it sounded like to me about how you can make a song cooler or better or more imaginative or colorful or doomier or brighter or just all of these colors and, you know, things, words were rushing to my head as you were, you know, literally orchestrating or even directing what the songs were going to do, lending itself a little bit to more. And you mentioned that you were, you guys were way into what Alice Cooper's band was doing at the time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it made me think of the way, and I know Dick came later, Dick Wagner. I've written some songs with Dick Wagner, my band. We didn't do anything with him, but we were just a big dumb hard rock band. He was orchestrating all of these parts, and it was like three days of just, you know, wizardry and songwriting mastery. And I'm just going, whoa, this is crazy, but this doesn't sound like my band. So mm. anyway, that's enough about that. But the way that you were putting that stuff together sounded like. Similar to that, and then I'm oh, sorry, it's a long question. You put those up against the ideas, or and or I'm sorry, what ended up on the record. That's a better save. Songs like uh, Burning For You, uh, Reaper, and there's you know, at least this many that were popular songs that were maybe a little bit closer to um, I don't want to use the word pop. But on the radio, more a little friendlier, even though they were still sort of this sort of underground uh, uh, gateway to heavy metal, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and and I feel like there the the songs that you were were almost prog rock, that were still BOC, and then you have the ones I just mentioned that were a little more radio friendly and that were very popular and that. If there was a movie soundtrack you guys were on and most of the other songs even either were just like butt-shaking hard rock songs or they were heavy metal songs or whatever, you guys were different sounding all the way around. But whether they put the most popular song, Reaper, View," whatever, and then you guys had this whole other thing going on, What I guess the question more lies, where were you between the sort of like wall, I just, the wedge I just built that, was there
2: a wedge at all or were you thinking? I don't know. I I think that, you know, uh, I, you know, our first foray into trying to do something pop, I would have to say was cities on flame. Right. 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 But it was all, it was, it was a nice blend of pop and Prague. Sure. Because our influences on that song were, you know, Black Sabbath King Crimson, yep, and uh, and probably Traffic, you know, oh, yeah. with a little okay. bit of James Gang thrown in there for sure. good measure. So uh, that you know the Joe Walsh game, James Gang. Yeah. So uh, you know we always were kind of like trying to skirt, you know. But then the lyrics are very repetitious. It's it's a, a mm. really strong hook, you know. You you can remember it every. It's just simple and easy to remember, and I think that before that that was a great lesson for Sandy Perlman because he was like, he was, he would write these like Bob Dylan, you know, you know, five pages of lyrics things. And, uh, he realized that, Oh, repetition is good though. Rep, you know, so that song has a ton of repetition and, you know, he continued that, you know, to a degree, although he had so much to say that he still had these, you know, page and a half or two page, uh, pages of lyrics you know which you know sometimes it's hard to remember all of that but um i don't know it's not but but and so you know if you do a song like seven screaming disc busters you've earned the right to do you know don't fear the reaper you know i agree yeah or or godzilla or godzilla Godzilla. (laughs) yeah something silly like godzilla exactly you know
0: Yeah. yeah When, when Jason was asking that question, something popped into my mind. Uh, I really back-
1: enjoyed asking that question,
0: by the way. Yeah. I, hope you guys <laughs> I
1: was like, wow, <laughs>
2: someone so much- would be proud of that question. <laughs> I was like, had my pom
0: poms out for that one, man. <laughs> well, he, he rattled off uh, a, a few song titles, of course, that will always be associated with Blue Oyster Cult: Godzilla, Don't Fear the Reaper. Amen. Uh, Amen. Burning, burning for you. Uh, so, you know, you you guys have obviously sold. Plenty of records and influenced a ton of bands. I wanted to know on the strength of those particular songs, is it is it fair to say you guys might make more money off licensing than than you did off album sales? Because I think those songs are going to be in movies and TV commercials and sure. whatnot forever and ever and ever. Um, it, it, they they certainly have to have provided a stream of income that you never suspected when you wrote them.
2: Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's incredible to me. All Uh, question, short answer. (laughs) Hey, that's great. (laughs) Last, last like five years. uh, I can't believe uh, how much money I'm making from royalties. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy, you know, and even, you know, the other guys, they're like, I can't believe that we're having this really, you know, we, we're making more now than ever. You know, I mean, you watch the new new episode of Dexter that they just brought back. You yeah. know, uh, now,
1: now I have to go watch that. I'll run it for fix it
2: off. Yeah.
0: Nice. Wow. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You say what you will about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I just don't see how a band like Blue Oyster Cult can be denied when you've got songs that are every bit as memorable as Stairway to Heaven and Satisfaction and I Want to wow. Hold Your Hand.
1: I but, hear what you're saying, Dave, and, and I agree. But I also, I deny the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. can have it. Yeah. They can hey, just, you know, y'all stay I, over
1: there. It's fine. Y'all go to your parties and yeah, do I, do what you want. I'm yeah. going to press play or put the needle in the groove and listen to yeah, yeah, these fantastic yeah. songs that have literally yeah. changed the the landscape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They can I'll, worry about whatever their popularity contest is, right? they can just have
2: it. That's right, I'll cry in my Porsche Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, you know uh, uh, Here I am, let's talk about Godzilla for a second I like it that you called it silly Even though in my eyes I don't think that you are saying Ah, that's a piece of shit song I feel like you're saying That, oh, that was fun And cute, you know, or whatever And I'll play it a a million more times It doesn't matter to me Um, The arrangement is great The hook is amazing. The lyrics are fun. And Toho Limited, who owns the word Godzilla, they can't touch you with a 10-foot pole. Because you're not making a T-shirt or a record that says Godzilla on it and selling it. You wrote a rock and roll song called called Godzilla.
2: No, they get paid. They get paid. Oh, they do. Make no mistake. Yes, they really tell
1: us the story about Toho Limited and what. How did that come about? What did they well, do to you guys?
2: I mean, the, it wasn't. It, it, it's reasonable. What they get okay. is a small percentage. Okay. That's it. Yeah. You know, because so they own. Like, they do own the word. Yes, did we pay a licensing fee on that? I still okay. make tons of money on that oh, song. Yeah. Uh, well, but,
1: especially since the new franchise and um yeah. the, and they actually I,
2: use it finally. You yeah, know.
1: yeah. They uh the I believe it the the last one they they uh they cut. Co- no it was the one before last, I believe. Yeah, a couple like years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh it was a cover version. Uh Gene my Are friend Jean Jean Hoagland played drums on it. Um ah. uh Smalls, I can't think of his name, the guy from metal localypse He's the guitar, he's the guy that ah. I think produced yeah. the track. And, and uh, uh, Tank Sergian sang on it. The guy Bear from Gene is
2: the si- yeah, system of a down. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic vocal. Such yeah. a and, such an incredible. Bear Grylls, Bear Grylls, who you know he does the uh, 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 what was it the Outlander series. Yes, plays all he does all. So he produced it, and it has the Outlander drums. How cool is that?
1: Yeah, wow. Mix in with Gene's heavy metal festival yeah, drums right i
2: love that version i love it
1: yeah it's wow. it's intense and it's very uh modern
2: not silly at all actually
1: no it's, it's very modern and uh uh epic uh, yeah. uh not cartoony uh, uh, to to just use a word without you know going either way with yeah. that um because it could you know it could have been cartoony could could have been Right. Yeah. You used the word silly, right? Now I have another Godzilla question. Yes. And then I think we ought to move away from Godzilla. Uh,
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, so, right.
1: so God. So, so in my opinion, even though it's a different key, uh, smells like Teen Spirit by Nirvana is literally the same rhythm guitar riff as Godzilla.
2: Yeah. It, it, wow. Oh, yeah. If you slowed
1: down Teen Spirit. It's very similar. Wow, there's a couple of passing of notes in the in the Nirvana riff because they're doing a strummy, muted choke. Yeah, you know, I don't know.
2: Thing. I I have a hard time. Uh, I guess it could have been influenced, but I mean, we certainly played up there, you know, in in Seattle a lot, yeah. a lot. Well, I'm not we, saying that. Lot, I'm not.
1: Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that Nirvana not, went it, went in and
2: stole the, the song. Uh, at that yeah, I mean Godzilla goes from. I mean, it it is uh, close. You know, uh, Nirvana's song is in the key of F.
1: Yes, and, that's And
2: correct. Uh, Godzilla's F sharp, so it's yeah. a, a half step away. Yeah, and um, uh, and it does have that kind of like, uh bah, 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 you know, yeah. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. I I never thought of it.
2: And the basic, basic movement is up a third. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that, that would be, yeah, it moves the same way and the rhythm is similar.
1: Yeah. I heard that when, when the, the, when teen spirit came out years ago, I was like, wait a minute. If you slow that down and crank down on the pitch, that's Godzilla.
2: I don't well, care what that,
1: anyone's saying.
2: That would be very interesting to sing Teen Spirit over Godzilla Changes. That would be... <laughs> Somebody yeah. needs to do a mashup. That's it. I mean, because that that melody is brilliant over those chords. I don't even know. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're, my they're
1: You know, hey, what what a great... You know, both songs are incredible yeah. rock and roll uh, songs. So, yeah, you're yeah. in good company. They're in yeah. good company. You slice And they're in the Rock mind. and Roll Hall
0: of
2: Fame. Cause they are from the
0: West coast. <laughs> yeah, Yep. Yep. Al, have you, uh, have you heard of the band ghost? Oh yeah. Yeah. I okay. love ghost. You Okay. Um, I was curious because the first time I heard them and every time afterward, I can't listen to them without thinking of blue oyster cult. I, I feel like you were a huge inspiration on that band and they're, they're, they're very successful right now. And, I don't know if a lot of their fans know where their sound comes from and if they don't, they should. Um, so what, what were your thoughts the first time you heard ghost? Did you, did you, did you say, Hey, that sounds familiar.
2: <laughs> I didn't really hear any direct steals though. I just thought, wow, I really like this. This is, <laughs> I have two, their first two records. So think yeah.
1: about it again, Al, when you, when you pull out your yeah. ghost records, yeah. Give it Think a little extra it. listen. Think uh. about it again. I mean, th- yeah. you're you're t- you're too close to home for it for it to hit you right away. But uh yeah. I agree with Dave 100%. Yeah.
2: Well, some of those Metallica riffs, uh, you know, I mean, they they told me. <laughs> they told me, Oh, we yeah. still this you. <laughs>
0: yeah, Oh, sure. yeah. yeah. Well, the the list of bands you you've influenced is just, you know, as long as my leg and I yeah. mean it's it's crazy.
1: But I do um, think that Ghost, and back to what you were saying, Dave, is when I, when you said that, or when anyone brings it up again, yep, there it is. Because uh, the harmony vocals, you know, it just sounds like a choir, and you, BOC had yeah. that going on. It was like Queen and Beatles, uh, you know, on top of some Sabbath material, you know, with, with yeah. you know, um, going into major more than minor, like Sabbath would have gone south and you would have guys would have gone north you know and i just think that that ghost does that all the time and the harmonies are there the whole time uh i I can't name any songs right now but i listen to it every time i'm going that's boc they got their whole thing that like um sort of like scary bowl of skittles you know, yeah. I, it's, yeah. like it's yeah. sugar coated yeah. hell. You know, yeah. I, I just yeah. think that there's, the, they, they yeah. knew what they were doing the whole time. And if they didn't, uh, innocently, I think that it's, it's, uh, good, good on them.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I know people that know them that, that said that they, they credited, they said, you know, they were very influenced by BOC. So,
1: oh, yeah. Well, yeah. they wear it on their sleeve yeah. then. Fantastic.
2: Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. pretty apparent. Um,
0: Al, one more question, and, and then we'll let you go. I wanted to know, um, you left Blue Oyster Cult after the Fire of Unknown Origin record, and right. I love that record. And um, and it was produced by Martin Birch, who's done mm. amazing work uh, with a bunch of bands that we love. Yes. Um, what was it that led to your departure at that time? Because that was such a creative peak for the band, in my opinion, uh, as far as a well rounded album, um, it, it just seemed like an a, an odd time for things to fall apart. so what was the what drove the wedge between you and the band at that time
2: uh, i don't know i I know that you know we did uh, Cultasaurus with martin and i I actually loved working with him i I thought he was a great guy i you know we had uh, we just done a record with Tom Worman. And I didn't, you know, I, I mean, Tom is an OK guy, but I didn't feel like he was adding anything to what we did, whereas Martin did, uh, you know, Martin added a certain thing. He came, he was like a producer that was coming from the engineering aspect of it, you know, so he would help us paint these sonic, uh, uh, land, you know, these sonic uh, pictures, you know, these sonic landscapes, whereas Worman was more like, I think you should do this song, and these lyrics need to be changed. You know, he would muck around with the songs. Uh, Martin really didn't do that much. He just showed us how. Oh, take this out. To, you know, get some more space in there. He was brilliant like that. So, um, you know, the arranging side and the and the recording side. And so, uh, I so when it came time to do the next record, he didn't want to do it and uh he said well you know these guys you know especially uh donald and eric they don't seem that into it you know donald had i think at that point had gotten a a deal for a solo record so he was more into this solo thing and he said i'm working you know i can't be in the studio all the time and so and martin is like well i don't want to be in here working on your record that you guys aren't into i said listen i will come and I will, I will spend every minute that you are in the studio. I will be with you if that's what you want. You know, if you want me to take a powder, I'll do that too. He goes, no, no, I want you to be there. I want you, I want you to be with me the whole time. You know, or, or somebody from the band. If they, mm-hmm. if they can't make it, you've got to make it. So for uh, Fire of Unknown Origin, this was the only record that uh, I was there for every minute of the recording and mixing and the whole thing, you know, the pre, you know, so, uh, so I think for me, you know, and, and basically I slept in the studio. I did not go home. I, uh, I spent, you know, the, the six or eight weeks, whatever it was, uh, living in the studio, live, you know, sleeping on a packing blanket and, You know, and then just getting up and having a cup of coffee and then starting again, you know, and we you know, if we weren't uh, if we weren't tracking, we were doing pre 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 mixing, you know, we comping tracks and and working out what was going to be muted and whatnot. And uh, so and just figuring out strategies for how to make this sonic escape. So when the record was done. I felt like I had done more than my share. Mm -hmm. I felt a little resentment towards those guys. And uh, especially because they didn't seem to think that I'd done anything special. You know, and they even said as much like, yeah, you were there just because, you know, you wanted to, you know, wanted to get your name on the record as producer or whatever, which I did. But, you know, I felt like Hey, we got a hit out of this, you know. Donald had Donald wanted to mix uh uh, Burnin For You himself, mm. so we all had to leave, including Martin Birch, just him and the you wow. know the playhouses and the other engineer, and he mixed it. And I listened to it and I said, how could you make this song that was such an obvious hit not sound like a hit? It was drowning in echo. It sounded like it was the son of Reaper. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, and he didn't have the finesse that, that somebody like Shelly Yakis, who mixed Reaper, could get all that reverb to just blend in. The, you know, it was, it was sounded like a demo. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he said, well, I think it's great. And uh, he said, well, why don't we play it for uh, Sandy and uh, the people at Columbia, Sandy Perlman. You know, and so Sandy took the 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 track to them and they said, oh, this is terrible. Mm. And so he said, Okay, you you know, we'll I'll mix it with you guys. And we said, how about this? How about you not be there? Because we had to leave the studio for for you. You leave the studio for us. And when we get down to the last four, three, four hours, you come in and you, and you make your comments and, and we'll make adjustments, but let us get the basic thing, you know, the basic, you know, so, and it's, that song is actually quite dry. There's only certain elements that have echo on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that's it was a driving song. It needed to, you know, it's something that make you speed and get a speeding ticket. Yeah. 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 Burn for
1: you, the, the, the drum buildups and the fills that, you know, then the little licks that are happening on top of that with here, I said, again, I call it the queen choir, you know, the, the, ah, stuff, the oohs and ahs that are happening throughout that whole, almost like weird proggy thing going into, uh, the, the really, really awesome bass line that sets up the verse and then you have the upbeat stabs with those have the re- reverb and the little delay yes. on them yeah but then mm-hmm. you've got all this like really cool layered simple simpleton kind of vocal time is on our side. you know you've got this yeah. vibe going yeah. I can I can't imagine it being anyway I don't want to yeah. I just I think that no. I think that what you and Martin were probably doing especially to make it be about Martin just for a second. Martin's achievements are thankless. Yeah. Thankless job. Thankless, totally thankless. That guy set the bar and recreated what dare I say, hard rock or I know heavy metal was really supposed to sound like between the purple dudes, the iron maiden guys, the black Sabbath guys, et
0: cetera.
2: Yeah, no, oh. we, we worked really hard. I mean, it was it was intense. It was very intense. You know, we would break down like every every other day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Just like do, you know, 20, 25, 26, 28 hours and straight. Yeah. You know? That's so that's was thankless. Incredible. That's was thankless. Really, and, and then to not be, you know, not be uh, thanked for it, it was it blew my mind. And I think that I started behaving in an obnoxious way towards Ah. them because I I was resenting that they didn't appreciate me. And, uh, and, and, you know, some of it could have been in my head too, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'd worked so hard on it. I'd never worked that hard on anything before. So, um, so that was, you know, and then, and and then ultimately, you know, Don and I had an, a a, a falling out Ah. and I have to say this, To Eric Bloom's credit, he was the only one who said, I think this is a bad idea. He shouldn't leave. Yeah. Um, So and and then then it turned into this other weird thing where Eric was mad at me for getting myself kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) that was his buddy like
1: yeah (laughs) passive aggressive you know yeah yeah. it's
2: this weird stuff that happens in bands but you know i mean Eric, eric was not in favor of it but then you know and maybe he thought that i could get down on my knees which i basically did you know and said i'm sorry i said you know I'm sorry i got so mad and i said things i shouldn't have said but you know or you know, or maybe it was the wrong time, you know, you never know you know it's it was right after after this gig that I was late for, so I was already mad. I was mad at the car, I was mad at my life, I was mad that I was spending all this time doing this stuff and not being appreciated
1: and <laughs> well al i I really hope that i really I, I appreciate you sharing with us and and being so just like on your sleeve for us, and I really hope that that nobody has any bad feelings after all this this oh, time no, has no, gone no. by
2: no we we are all cool you know we're oh, all cool. Awesome. me and eric are, are you know buddy buddies again and don and i you know we we know how much we really love each other so that's yeah. you know excellent. it's all good it's it's fine excellent. you know and i and, uh, and steve shank you know i mean i'm i'm really tight with the management now so Everything is good. It's great. It's great. Fantastic. Actually, Shank is is uh, booking the dictators. Right. So, oh wow, yeah. Nice. yeah. So,
0: right. is that the, st- is that still active? Or are you still doing the dictators? Yes. Gig? Oh yeah, yeah. We've
2: got. I I've got so many things going on. I have some blue Coop dates in the summer. I've got uh, um, dictators dates in the summer. I have uh in this spring, I have Imaginos Band, my solo band, also and also Robert Gordon. And wow. also the and I have a uh I think yeah, just one gig now with uh Bouchard Brothers, which is a acoustic trio that I do with my brother Joe. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah, so I have a bunch of gigs coming up. I'm really looking forward to playing live. I played uh four, four Robert Gordon shows, uh, in, uh, October. And then I played a Imaginos band show. Well, it was really not a whole show. It was like a opening act kind of deal where we played eight songs, you know? Like yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds, like,
0: sounds like you're busy and, uh, with any yeah. luck, the Imaginos two record will continue to keep you busy and, uh, We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Uh, It was awesome to get to talk to a guy who's played on some songs. Like I said, 50 times during this episode will outlive all three of us. So um, (laughs) uh, thank you for your contribution to rock and roll. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And uh, Jason, you got any parting words for Al?
1: I think I've already said it. Al, it was such a pleasure to meet you. I literally think you are one of the uh, last of a dying breed, as they say, As I, but you you continue <laughs> to be a walking, living legend. And yeah. uh, I appreciate your time with us today,
2: sir. Well, thank you, guys. And I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's it for another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. I'm Metal Dave Glessner with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and our very special guest today, Al Bouchard from Blue Oyster Cult fame. Thank you for joining us, Al. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the
2: Talk Louder Podcast. Cheers.